even if you have your your foothold in your space within the industry, there's a new hot coach or there's new hot fitness program or some Instagram influencer catches fire and they are going to to cannibalize and feed off of your hard work that you take to get there. Oh yeah. It is not your place to then go attack that individual. Don't battle it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Own, own what you do well. Stay in your wheelhouse and continue to connect with your community. Much like a hot freshman comes in that is much better than you and the coach eyes them to take your spot, it's your opportunity to then be a leader. Put your arm around them. If you own who you are and then continue to put your head down and focus on what you do best, then you keep the focus on the field versus looking over your shoulder. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. One of the biggest things that we hear all the time at Art of Coaching is I never had a mentor before. And it's something I'm sensitive to because I never had a direct mentor. Now, I've said this before. Of course, I learned from people along the way. We all do. But I never had somebody who just put their arm around my back and showed me the rope, so to speak. Never had somebody that told me all the books to read and what to avoid and all this. And for many reasons, I think I'm better off. And I think most of us are when we have to find our own way and fight for that. However, If you are looking for a mentor, there is a right way to go about it. And we've provided a free resource that's very simple that can help you no matter where you're at in your career, find the mentor that's the right fit for you. And it's really simple. All you guys have to do is go to artofcoaching.com backslash find a mentor and you will be able to access our free guide. It's very simple. Not only does it tell you the traits you should look for, the behaviors you should look for, but more importantly, it gives you scripts, sample emails you can write because that's such an issue today where people don't always know the right way to reach out. It can get awkward. You you want to come off as respectful, but at the same time, you don't want to be creepy if there's somebody that you admire. You don't want to offend them and, and take up their time, but you want to get your point across. We've thought of all those things for you. We know that email can be a tricky medium. So just go to artofcoaching.com backslash find a mentor. It gets in the show notes if, if you want to come back to it and check it out. All right, guys, let's get into today's guest. What does it mean to be resourceful? We hear that phrase tossed around a lot. It's not resources, it's resourcefulness. But what does that really mean? And how can you actually utilize it in your day-to-day based on the situation that you're in now? And more importantly, what does it mean if being resourceful now means embracing technology that once was something that you didn't really want to dive into? Not because you didn't understand it, but just because it seems like there wasn't a need. But now you're in an industry or a field that's more and more facing the reality that technology and an increased use of it is our future. Whether you're a coach, whether you're a nurse practitioner, whether you're a business owner, there's a lot of things that have changed and a lot of things that are going to continue to change. And we've got to get creative. That's exactly what today's show is about and more with my friend Tex McQuilkin. 
Now, we value no-nonsense material here, and Tex is somebody that's provided that for years. We really don't want to do the typical podcast question and answer thing, so this is very much an open discussion, a conversation, nothing scripted. And if you're not familiar with Tex, Tex is the co-host of Power Athlete Radio. He's the director of training and education for Power Athlete as well. He has a range of experience, which is I always value people that come on this show that have worked in different settings, in different fields, and and aren't kind of siloed. He coached at the collegiate level with Georgetown University, Marymount University, men's lacrosse, worked at the University of Texas with their football program, has worked with Naval Special Warfare, U.S. Army Airborne Corps, and has a unique, unique history at teaching and educating outside of formal coaching environments as well. Tex is going to bring you some interesting perspective. And again, embrace this episode. Embrace the open nature. Because where you think it goes is not always where it goes. And we think that provides you guys with ultimate value. So enjoy this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm here with Tex McQuilkin. Tex, how are you, buddy? Incredible. Having a good day. And I always appreciate that about you. We've been friends for a while and I always appreciate, I'm not going to use the term stoic, it's overused, but I always appreciate the consistency, right? In that you never, every time I'm around you, whether it's at a barbecue joint or when we met last, uh, where were we at Mexican place down in Austin, Texas uh, for that clinic, you're never too high, never too low, steady Eddie, very reliable person, which I think in this day and age is the ultimate commodity. So for what that's worth, I appreciate that about you. Yeah, I'm a, the youngest brother of sisters, so I got to hold my cards emotionally and then always put the best face forward because they are always looking, even now, for something to to rag on or rip on or just hold against you. That's the nature of it. That was Thanksgiving at my house growing up and pretty much every night. Uh, my family definitely values wit, and wit is the, viewed as the ultimate form of intelligence, so to speak. Now, sometimes my brother and I would get in arguments and it would basically be who's the loudest. And that's a bad habit I had to break, you know, as I, as I coach and became a leader, but you know, it's, it's something that you are the picture of equanimity, but I know that you can turn it on sometimes when you want to, too. And you're also an excellent conversationalist, which if you guys are just listening to the show for the first time, you know, that I'm not very much of an interviewer as much as I am a conversationalist and I think text one ups me in that area. So that's another reason I'm excited to have you here. Well, Power Athlete Radio, we've been doing it for about seven years. So that's 50 plus episodes a year. It's a lot of opportunity to talk to switched on people and not let it drift off or drone on. So very direct and succinct within that. And man, that comes from opportunity alone. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And without, you know, people that listen to the episode, we always go through the bios prior because we always like getting into the meat of the discussion. So they've kind of heard about your engagement with Power Athlete Radio, everything that you've done in your background. But I want to talk podcast for a minute. And this isn't the main theme of the episode by any means. We're going to let this go multiple places. But I, I am curious if you'll indulge me. This is a time where podcasts are, are, we think they're pretty saturated. I know I never wanted to start a podcast because I thought, Oh my God, you know, everybody in the world has a podcast yet statistics continue to show that the podcast space is growing incredibly. I mean, the vast majority of the world still listens to terrestrial radio. Uh, what, what inspired you guys to even start doing the podcast and what do you feel about the space so far? What's still left unexplored in the podcast space? Cause you guys are OGs. That, that's, that's a great question. It started 
honestly without John's permission, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious that the the two gentlemen that started it with Luke, they got a cease and desist from him. Oh, so wow. The classic yeah, story that uh, just didn't tell John, just kind of started it. And then I, I was when we started, I was at an internship at University of Texas. So had a very little opportunity to jump on the show to join in and eventually got the opportunity to then be consistent within that as my my coaching took a different different direction in career but the the bottom line we are focused on on people and it's interesting that a lot of podcasts that put out they they have amazing and we did a lot of research within the fitness podcast community they're focused on singular topics so i appreciate that strategy to focus on one topic but a lot of the episodes that we aim is people. Yeah. So they, they go 90 minutes, they go two hours, some three hours, long discussions, but focused on pulling out what we can and know from the people that we have on the podcast. And you've been on three times, and certainly that, that will not be the end of it, but focused on people. And then we're finding different ways and different strategies through blogs or online courses to target topics but we want to keep that podcast for the people. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think that was a, something that we battled with as well for a while. And we've done some episodes where, you know, we did one with JL Holdsworth, why everyone's wrong about the squat. We've done one with <laughs> Brianna Battles about Great. setting boundaries and what have you. Uh, but we also have a lot of fluidity within that. But we thought originally we're like, well, let's do this because people have a lot of questions on common topics, whether it's about building buy-in, whether it's about training, whether it's about leadership development. We had one on how to build a speaking career. But the problem is, is when you do that, you don't allow just natural conversation and flow to come out, which I think, and you probably agree from you nodding your head, is that it just stymies the conversation. Like we had one person say, hey, you ask, you know, you don't ask enough questions and you don't, and I go, this isn't an interview, dude. You know, this is, this is a discussion between people. I'm not just going to sit here and pepper one-liners at people and imagine they're going to be listening because you never extract anything. Do you find that that's influenced your interview style or what have you had to work on as it pertains to asking questions, having a discussion, how has podcasting helped you become more interesting by being interested in other people? Well, before I, I'm avid reader and still am readers are leaders, right? Those instilled in me from my father, but now we have the opportunity to get an author on. So they have these ideas formalized, well thought out, and delivered to us in a text. But now we have the opportunity through the podcast to explore the discovery of these ideas or the application or the thought process. Or once you've published, it's, it's not set in stone. We can bring it to life and evaluate and pick up these ideas and rip them apart and piece them back together. So the, the value is there. It's not just these ideas dying within the books. We get to explore and feel and experience the the thought and the creativity and the discovery. So that's one thing I've appreciated when we do get authors like yourself on. And then we have coaches. We get we we had JL on as well. We get to explore his experience and coaching and application. You have the the West Side guide through the book. But then when you walk in the doors of Westside and talk to Louie and see it applied, it is no, there's no connection to the book that he put out. So it's this opportunity to continue to, to breathe life into ideas and application of those ideas 
and see how the the thought leaders in our industry and other industries continue to evolve. Yeah. So that's that's the value of the the podcast, whether it's coaches that we have, authors, or just other people within the strength realm or performance community, is to talk about their journey, share that, and then hopefully look forward and instead of just reliving the stories like the 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 NFL guys on countdown always referring back to their time. Now we would love to explore what they're trying to do in the future beyond their sport. Yeah. Yeah. You would touch on continuing the conversation. That's critical. And you're right. Leaders, leaders are readers. I remember that quote. I also always kind of respectfully challenge it by saying, as long as they do something with it, I think (laughs) that, I think that why continuing the conversation is so critical right now is there are so many coaches, leaders, people out there. We're going to use the term. If you guys are listening for the first time, I use coach as a synonym for leadership. If you're guiding people or you orchestrate or you help people, you're a coach, you're a leader. So when you hear me use those terms, it's not industry specific, but you know, I I think that we have coaches that think that they're learning because they're reading and yet they're not reflecting or do anything with it. Right. It's that they're not putting any skin in the game. And so it's always, it is, it's hard as an author when somebody says, Hey, what's your best tips on buy-in? I'm like, well, I wrote a book on that. But I also have a lot of other things that that we've developed since that time. Have you listened to the podcast? Oh, no, I haven't. You know, there's so many podcasts. I'm like, well, I hear you, but it sounds like you're interested in this topic. And our podcast covers elements of communication from the boardroom to the weight room and everywhere in between. So this idea that people are still kind of looking for the one resource instead of understanding that they're all pieces of the puzzle right? It's a continuance of a conversation has admittedly been something I struggle with. I struggle with the fact that people still think that they can just drop down list their life. Do you see that as a systemic issue in coaching in general of people just wanting the one right answer? And, and that's why they kind of really gravitate towards central themes or, or just books that are linearly laid out. What do you think is causing this issue with people being wanting to know what to think instead of how to think? But that is a, a major problem. It plays into the issue of lack of self-awareness or playing hard on confirmation bias. Mm. We used to travel the world a lot for seminars for power athletes. So very fortunate in that opportunity to get to meet and work with so many different coaches. But there was always a few handfuls always sitting in the back and their questions were directed at an affirmation for what they were doing with their athletes rather than taking in the information that we are presenting from our experience and then trying to apply it or see how they can give it to their athletes. It was, no, here's my program or here's how I talk the squat and affirm me. No, we are aiming to break this down. And then one of my favorite goals is the, the old Bruce Lee empty your cup, right? We are trying to teach people and looking for people that value the, ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn rather than learn this one time, going back to JL, like the setup and execution of a squat. And that's how you do it. No, we're teaching athletes how to move. We can have all these different barbells, foot positions, set up and execution to drive different adaptations that the athlete, depending on their sport, may call upon. There is no one way to do things. So it certainly is a problem, an issue. And Going back to one of your terms, preferred learning style, they are not in a position to hear and get feedback from a coach. So they are a coach 
not willing to have a coach. So it's they read it this way or their high school football coach taught them this and they're trapped within that because it maybe brought them success rather than dissecting these ideas, listening, reading, and finding different learning styles and techniques that they can then apply to their athletes that have different preferred learning styles. Yeah, or modal strengths, right? Because people like to debate learning styles, but the reality is is people have different we, – we use like learning preferences. If For anybody to deny that people don't have certain preferences of learning is silly. We, have, we know that certain people are more auditory, visual, tactile, kinesthetic, and, and everybody's a combination because it depends. It's like leadership. It's contextual. I always laugh because people act like leadership is some amalgamation of, of Betty Crocker traits, where if you just put empathy, charisma, and, and all these things in a blender, you got a leader. When in reality, leadership is so contextual to the individuals you're trying to lead, the historical context in which they're led, and the situation, right? And But you mentioned a good point about unlearning and stripping something down to its essential level. I remember reading Josh Waitskin's book, The Art of Learning. Have you ever read that? No, I have not. I think you'd really appreciate it because he reinforces what you said there. When he learned chess, because he was a, a chess champion, amongst other things, he said instead of learning chess with all the pieces on the board, he would just put one piece on the board and learn everything it could do. And only when he did that, he would add the other piece. And I think that this goes into your background. Anybody that listened to the intro heard about your experience in Division Three sports. And we live during an era where people love to fetishize these palatial performance environments. Oh, my goodness. Look what Oregon installed. Oh, my God. These people have Xbox in the Players Lounge. These people have lockers that now cool themselves and charge their cell phones. These people have a performance facility that every time they step, it tells them how much pressure they're putting into the floor. Division three, you have none of that. And to give any audience members no. listening an idea of Division Three, I mean, you're talking about a quote-unquote lower-level lower division, certainly not in terms of character of people or effort or attitude, but in terms of funding and, and some other things. So it's very much like that startup environment. If you're somebody that just decided to start a business on Main Street yourself, you're that Division Three store, whereas, you know, the Goliath Amazon now is that Division One. They can afford drones to drop off packages. But talk to me about how your experience within Division Three environment led or really reinforced Forced, uh, this idea of unlearning, being able to be essential and not needing all the fancy stuff to do a really great job. Well, there is no fancy stuff. I remember walking into my college weight room and it was a fitness center. One of my assistant coaches my first year was a coach at high school. So coaching lacrosse, I played lacrosse. He was a coach at high school and we got the opportunity of this high school was throwing away an old squat rack. So I went with him in his pickup truck and we picked it up and we had this first squat rack at my school. And there with lacrosse, there is no weightlifting culture. So you want to talk about culture change. I had to walk into a non-training culture sport, into a non-training culture school. And Meaning people just didn't embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. And but it was a it was a, an opportunity and exposure, my first exposure to leadership. In Texas, I played football in high school in Texas, and you have your head coach, you got your senior quarterback is the captain. It's it's a systematic approach to developing kids in leaderships, and they break a hell of a lot of eggs to make an omelet. Yeah. It's an interesting social experiment with Texas high school sports. I'm sim- sure similar within Georgia, but the Division Three, it was a smaller team. It was a sport that had no culture within the school, no training. 
environment. It was my first opportunity to lead. And so I had a lot of opportunity. I was able to label these later in my, my coaching career, but three things that I, I certainly took away as a valuable low, trying to think of a term here, not a lot of equipment at my disposal, but just creative just white space. Resourceful. Thank you. Resource. Yeah. Easy. No, I know. How, but, hey, those days happen sometimes, man. I get it. Resourcefulness, just not being tension on resources, but resourcefulness. What can you, what everybody's had to do now with like training at home, you know? So then it's it simply put, it comes down to three valuable characteristics that then set me up to be a, a, a successful coach and leader. It was scaffolding differentiation. And then what I'm referring to is athlete led outcomes. Scaffolding simply put is the, the structure show up on time or the team will be punished and managing class studies, research, external curricular activities, friends, entering a new social circle, making friends, all the stresses that come with entering into a college, but still managing your focus and intention on being the baddest dude on the team. Mm. So within that, that takes a lot of discipline to scaffold and organize your life for success, whether that's in business going beyond. You still need a social life and can't let your work consume you. Believe me, I've, I've been there within it, but understanding the value of your social circles. Then differentiation. This is a, a lesson that I feel a lot of athletes or young men and women entering the workforce need. Differentiation and realizing that there are inherently more talented, athletic, smart individuals than you that do not have to work as hard of you as you, then you walk into this workforce thinking, all right, I have my degree or I have my experience, I have my master's. And then to realize that none of that means anything when you walk into that workforce or within sport, the weight room, it's all about now. And you have to learn to work, communicate, socialize with kids that are better than you. They're going to start over you no matter how little or how hard they work. So differentiation, incredible, valuable lesson that, that I was able to pick up within that sporting career. And then finally, athlete-led outcomes. I was fortunate to, I had one head coach entering into a freshman year that was a dictator. And then my sophomore year, he ended up being fired and we got a new coach. It was his first coaching experience. So this is not unique at the Division three level. As many coaches begin their head coaching career at this level but they are able to lean on their teams, on their athletes. So this was their first leadership position, and he looked to the leaders of the team, the captains, to help create this new environment that he wanted to instill in his career. Here we are 15 years later, and he's still the coach there, so we were able to lay groundwork. But that was that experience where I'm afraid to speak publicly in front of people, but my coach needs me. So this is my opportunity to make mistakes, find my voice as a leader, not be ashamed to speak up to a senior as a sophomore, as a sophomore captain, and own my my position within that and role within the team. If even though I'm not getting the, the playing time, I'm still, this is my team. So th- it comes with mistakes. It comes with hell of a lot of fist fights to figure that out but at the same time i can get away with that fist fight in practice which i probably can't within the the work environment 
But at the same time, I need the social intelligence to make these mistakes on how to appropriately approach people in a confrontation style to get what we need, which is to win, succeed, to go forth. So, man, a lot of valuable lessons and opportunities within that college sport that coaches or athletes may may poo-poo on or skip or forego for more of a, a social and party or bigger university opportunity. So it, it was an amazing experience. And certainly now within our, our power athlete space, we are all leaders. We are all still a very tight knit team, but at the same time, a lot of white space and opportunity to create our own outcomes or pillars within our, our company to then explore and then put out to the, the world of performance strength and conditioning or whoever the hell's listening. Yeah. I mean, it's very in sync with autonomy, mastery, purpose, but I like if I'm understanding and translating the scaffolding differentiation and, and athlete centered outcomes, a lot of this is, and if you guys are somebody that owns your own business, or if you're just a coach, that's looking more to understand kind of how this translates into other fields. I look at scaffolding and, and text, feel free to correct me after I'm done with this. Scaffolding is setting your foundation, right? What are the expectations, rules, like just understanding what it, what is to be done here? Differentiation, ooh, here's a scary word I think most coaches don't like. To a degree, that's marketing and sales. You are right. Like no matter what you have to offer, you have to find another way to kind of make that more evident. It's something that I try telling coaches all the time. Great. You write the best programs. You've gotten your certification. You've done this. Those are prerequisites. You are not guaranteed a job, right? You're not guaranteed a job. And that's why we push the communication agenda so hard in, in art of coaching is we believe that at the end of the day, nearly every field is, is, or any skill set is optimized when you're a stronger communicator because information does mm -hmm. nothing without an audience bottom line. Um, and then the athlete centered outcome I like because, and this is confirmation bias and totally is that you're offering a safe place to fail for people to hone that. That's, that's exactly why we created our apprenticeship workshops for leadership is we looked at nobody has a safe place to fail in terms of communication and leadership and confrontation. So we wanted to create that. And so am I, am I getting that right in terms of scaffolding is the foundation of that culture differentiation is how you communicate or really amplify your differences to create your edge with what you've got and that resourcefulness. And then athlete centered outcomes is having an environment where it's a safe place to fail. You can grow. There's an incubator there. It's not just, um, you know, a hands-off approach. Am I translating that correctly? Beautiful summary, man. And to expand upon differentiation and your connection of the, the marketing even if you have your, your foothold in your space within the industry, there's a new hot coach or there's a new hot fitness program or some Instagram influencer catches fire and they are going to, to cannibalize and feed off of your hard work that you take to get there. Oh, yeah. It is not your place to then go attack that individual. Don't battle it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Own, own what you do well. Stay in your wheelhouse and continue to connect with your community. Much like a hot freshman comes in that is much better than you and the coach eyes them to take your spot, it's your opportunity to then be a leader, put your arm around them. This is a little bit different from the team than the marketing. But at the same time, if you own who you are and then continue to put your head down and focus on what you do best, then you keep the focus on the field versus looking over your shoulder. See, but I don't think that's different at all because marketing – Marketing, when it's really defined, is the story of who you are made real by what you do, right? Like that's, I, that's, like I think that we have marketing and we've talked about it in a lot of podcasts before, so I don't want to bore the listeners into it, but our idea of marketing is salesy bullshit because 
people have a tendency, it's human nature and research supports this. We remember negative experiences more than we do positive ones. That's why we associate things like that with those things. So for example, even today we had a conversation, one of the guys that does our videos for YouTube said that he's kind of in a moral crisis and it's a young guy, great guy named Cliff. And uh, Cliff said, you know, part-time he works at a, a technology store and in the past he was mainly customer service, helping people figure out how to use the technology that they sell, whether it's GoPros, whether it's other pieces of equipment, what have you, right? That doesn't matter for the context of this story. Well, now he's gotten a, a promotion and he's got to do some sales and he says, I feel uh, in an odd place morally because now I'm selling people stuff and I don't like that. You know, I just liked informing people of how it helps them and what have you. And I go, well, Cliff, that's all sales is, you know, and I like bad sales is, yeah, if you're leading people, if you're using unscrupulous practices to lead people to do something that they shouldn't want to do or won't benefit from doing or whatever, that's deceit right? That's, that's based on not just the process, how you engage with the process, but a negative outcome. But I mean, name something that you can't do or promote without some use of sales. And at the end of the day, nobody, like you said, Tex, should ever worry about the hot new coach or the new this or new that, because your body of work should speak for itself if it's evident. That's why I do it. I don't get when people just say I'm off social media, I'm doing this. And they're really, a lot of them are mad that they're not getting the following that they want. And I, what I try telling them is no, 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 like quit worrying about your following. Think of it as a time capsule. So for me, let's say somebody decides, oh, I don't believe in this art of coaching or for you, oh, this power athlete, you know, whatever I, you know, I'm questioning this. Well, if you've been posting consistently for years and years and years, right, your thoughts, your captions, your ideas, beliefs, that only shows the consistency of your character and your thought and how true you are to your message. It's compound interest and social proof of your message. Only Jay-Z said it best in the song, The Takeover. There's only so long fake thugs can pretend. And it's true. Like, it's very hard to have consistent social media posts for five to six years. If you're a fake or a phony, you're just going to eventually quit or you're going to do this or what. And so when I tell people, like, you, when people have unhealthy relationships with social media, which I get, let me, let me be frank. I understand how it can erode away people. Uh, like, if it's, but they're thinking of it the wrong way. Quit thinking of vanity metrics. Think of it, I, I think of it purely as a journal. It's a journal. It's just a simple thought process. It's where I put ideas. I give a shit if people follow. If they don't, that's, that's their call. I don't have a huge following uh, in general, right? But it's, you've got to have consistency in what you are. Can you, can you talk? Does that make sense or am I just blabbering? Because you guys are really consistent with your message. And consistency is important but it's identifying what our message is that is the challenge. Yeah. So that, that took a number of years in a lot of conversations and a lot of sit down, a lot of traveling and coaching experiencing before we were able to identify and stay within our wheelhouse. So for us, it is focusing on athleticism, but that puts us in a position to when we talk to a JL Holdsworth or Brett or any other coach out there, we can then apply our wheelhouse to, to build upon their focus and attention of, okay, how does this connect to a powerlifting when we're training for athleticism? What is the emphasis and the importance of communicating our focus and intention on athleticism, not the numbers, and, and using our, our ability as conscious coaches to, to deliver people to their goal? So all of these things are consistent within our message, but then it allows us to 
reach out to different influencers that allow us to build, collaborate, connect, communicate. So it is that self-discovery of finding out who you are versus going back to one of our our pre-show mentions being unoriginal. So we're not stealing. I I would not encourage people to steal ideas, thoughts, beliefs. Find out who you are, be as authentic as possible, and that will be your push. It's not marketing. It's you're talking honestly about yourself, your application of said product, and delivering people to your experience. I don't know um, about you, Brett, but then when it comes to choosing our sponsors, it's things that we either believe in or eat. So that that is one big thing. If we are cooking these meats that we're sponsored by or have great experience with this company, then we're able to to believe in that. And I wouldn't call it marketing. No. Well, I mean, and that's where nomenclature can go back and forth, right? Like all day. The, the, the reality is, is you're trying to promote an idea through your actions and what have you. The earliest version of this is cave drawings, people and stories that people told, right? A lot of these, I mean, God, uh, my kid is five at the time or five months at the time we're recording this. And you look at nursery rhymes, do you know how many nursing rhyme, nursery rhymes are just straight up twisted? I mean, no. Oh my goodness. Look like when you, when you die, sometimes I'm like reading them or we're going through, there's this little thing that will sing it to him. And I'm like, what in the world? Like even ring around the Rosie, like look at the origin of ring around the Rosie and what it has to do with the black plague, like ashes, ashes, we all fall oh, down. Right. Yeah. So what most people don't wow. uh, understand is you're influenced by marketing. Every time you hear a story, uh, most fables were cautionary tales because they were promoting a certain kind of behavior, right? Every single thing around us is storytelling. That's telling us act this way, do this, don't do that. Hey, that that's all these things were uh, Hansel and Gretel. I mean, are you kidding me? this woman was going to put somebody in the oven, you know, and then they shoved her in the oven. I'm sitting there like, should I even read that? Like you think about these things that like when you're a kid, you take for granted, you're like, Oh, Hansel and Gretel, you know? And then you're like, wait, they shit, they shoved that witch in the oven. That's pretty twisted. Um, and so when you think of storytelling, marketing, myths, fables, songs, everything's trying to promote an idea. Everything is, and nothing is accidental. Nothing is accidental. I'm a big music guy, and I think you appreciate it as well. Look at the debates it took for a long time with the Hotel California and the Eagles. Oh, is it about ghosts? Is it about drugs? Is it about this? People love to kind of dive into the unknown of things, and sometimes that in and itself is great marketing because people want mystery. It's called the Zeingarnik effect. When we don't understand something, we've got to learn more. So my point is, is that marketing and sales is a part of everyday life. I think that I wasn't comfortable with those terms for a long time. And then I just realized I have a lot of other more important shit in life to worry about. And whether I call it like coaching and leadership is is an influence based process. A hundred percent. The research supports that you are trying to influence people's behavior to get them to do something. And within that is, is a form of marketing and promoting an idea that should be mutually beneficial. So within that division three side of things, then you know, what, what, for anybody listening, that is a part of that. How do you operationalize? What should they do in order to kind of really tease out that scaffolding, right? That, that kind of approach, like, cause it's very hard for people to figure out, uh, you know, you ask somebody, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to make a difference. Well, what does that mean? And then they struggle around with all these truisms and verbiage. Do you guys have a way that people can really tease out the differentiation aspect or the scaffolding aspect so they can get more clarity on that, not on what it is, but how they can get clear on what their, you know, their, their part of that is. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. 
I feel that if they apply a, a scarcity lifestyle with an abundance attitude, meaning you have a very limited budget window opportunity to dive into your business of how far can we get on one yellow notepad yeah. in terms of our creating versus stacking our, our office supply. So that is very great representation of Division Three sports is scarcity. You get one pair of pants where a Division One would get one pair of all the different colors that a school presents, and they're very catered to or self-reliant in the Division Three respect. So it's there is some connection there of not being spoiled, but you will have the big businesses that are pushing the, hey, we cater lunch every single day. Mm. Uh, well, or we're going to overpay for this talent. Well, where can you balance that out? More opportunity, more potential ownership, or purpose, creativity, white space to operate to make this theirs. And uh, a lot of those motivation 3.0 that you referenced earlier. So within that, I would, I would say the, the abundance mindset of seeing this is a blank canvas for you to operate within this, but you got to believe that you are creative enough to make something out of nothing. And I'm sure you'll be a hell of a lot more proud of what you did create than the position that you held at a different business. Yeah, no, I appreciate you diving into that. So within that idea of constraints, resourcefulness, common themes, Talk to me about things like distance learning or distance coaching now, because those are clear constraints that we're having to get, you know, more comfortable with. I mean, they're predicting that things like telehealth will go into the hundreds of billions of dollars if it stays in network and that the fitness industry with what they're going to have to do with innovating streaming and what have you is going to change tremendously. And I think we know that a lot of fields, industries, services, whatever anybody wants to call it are going to change, but how do you, how do you kind of talk to me about some of the benefits of what you think are, you know, distance learning, distance coaching has in store for us so that more of the traditionalists, and I know myself included, I love being in front of people. I love engaging. I, I just, I'm, I'm a social creature. Talk to us about your thoughts on that and how that's going to evolve and, and what we can, how, how we can stay ahead of it. Well, nothing will replace that in-person experience to where, I can raise my hand and interact with the professor, but at the same time with the online community and education experience, I feel it will put you in a position to then learn. So we can cover the fundamentals, the basics of different topics, the X's and O's, the one-on-ones of different courses or topics to then put us in a position to have a conversation, a valuable conversation with the subject matter expert. Well, at the same time, we're instilling an ability for us to learn on our own. Like you mentioned the, the book earlier, I'm going to dive into the art of learning. We have to learn how to learn. I'm sure the, the book puts us in a position to do so, but it's, it's ownership of ideas. It's ownership and investment of my time, such as we referenced scaffolding earlier, yep. for me to then apply this information in the very small window that I have. If I do get that opportunity to work in person with clients now, I can apply the information which I learned at a distance. And best way I know how to learn is to teach. So if I'm taking one of the courses on communication or movement online, then I get the opportunity to work one-on-one or with kids. Like if I have kids, I get to apply this information to them. And if I can teach family members from my experience, and you can teach anybody, they're some of the most difficult people to teach. So I feel 
the, the online experience will put us in a position to learn. And then when it comes to distance coaching for the strength and conditioning community, this is a hell of a valuable tool to apply because they have this program that you would deliver. And one of my favorite things to do is have my athletes video their movements. And then I have to be very selective in the directions that I give them at a distance. So it's the last thing that I want them to think about now when they go into their next day or next set of squats. So I only wanted them to think about one thing when I could write a whole dictation on how to do or fix their squat and their movement. So it's making us better, more effective and direct communicators in, in my respect to coaching in a way because we're giving them small bite-sized bits of feedback to make them better versus over coaching, which is a very common theme in our field when it comes to in-person right? Coaches talking to talk, coaching to coach, queuing to queue. So they feel validated when the athlete does not necessarily need that. So that's what I feel about the, the online coaching and the online education experience puts coaches in a position to learn and apply. And then when it comes to students and athletes, it's just the bite-sized information for them to execute themselves. I wonder if some people really want that though. You know, what I, what I mean by that is I just know, and, and you and I have talked about this before, so many coaches come out of college and say, I want the pro job. I want the job in Division One sport. I want the job with the pro rugby club. I want the job at, uh, you know, in, in the premiership or the premier league, you know, all these things. And what what is ultimately going to take, what is it going to take, do you think, Tex, for more coaches to not just look at those kinds of things as the only option for their career? You know, especially in strength and conditioning, we're not talking fitness here. Like what is it going to take for more coaches to actually come out and be like, no, I want to be entrepreneurial and educational. Um, I understand that that's what coaching at the end of the day is. Even if you did get that pro job, you're an entrepreneur and that you've got to solve problems and uh, you're an educator in terms of that you've got a coach. Uh, but what, what will it take for our field to embrace more of that? Cause other industries are way ahead of us. And that's, that's a main rallying point I keep trying to have is for as much as strength and conditioning says they're a field that always is evolving and, and on the cutting edge. I think we're in the stone age and, and I'm talking to a past version of myself too, cause I wouldn't have wanted this stuff at first go, but you know, at this point in my life and my career, I understand the value of it and the importance of knowing it. Man, that's, that's a solid question. Other than just shake them, like they're that kid in Billy Madison, stay here, stay here as long as you can. But I feel like they Unders would still, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, understand there is so much more opportunity. And if you have the opportunity, I would have all of these pro professional strength and conditioning coaches, maybe it's anonymous, but write a true representation of what their job entails and what they do. So the, I mentioned earlier a University of Texas internship that I had, and this is coming from Division Three athlete, Division Three sport coach into Georgetown University, which when it comes to football is Patriot League, but I was working with lacrosse and crew, so scholarship teams, football non-scholarship, and applying to jobs all over, and I got the, oh, we're not going to hire you because you don't know anybody, or you are a division three athlete. You're not experienced enough individual to work with these horse, like these, these world-class horses. Right. So then, okay, what am I going to do in growing up? University of Texas is football. It is the way. So apply to an internship as a 27 year old to make the sacrifice so I can get some respect in the field. 
to then go. And it was like pulling back the curtain of Oz and seeing these four and five star recruits that no matter what you did in the weight room, were going to step onto the field and execute and be amazing athletes. So it's not the coaches that are developing these individuals. It's the coaches that the sport coaches that are recruiting and pushing and promoting these NFL athletes to get them in the door. So it was understanding and it was a big aha moment pulling back that curtain and understanding what the division one, the big leagues is all about. So they have a vision of spectacularism with that they see on ESPN. And when a sport coach is high, excuse me, a strength coach is highlighted on the sideline, getting all the, the athletes pumped up, rocking sleeveless during the winter. And that's not real. That's not coaching. That is that experience for that moment in time, this clip, but is not the hours that that individual coach invested in his athletes. It's not the probably 10 years of bullshit that he had to dig to get to that position. And then the potential that if he does not go all in lightning in a bottle every single day, he's going to be gone in one year. And that's just going to burn you out. And they don't see their family. Exactly. Like, and the funny thing is going back, that's, that's the irony is our field is so suspect of marketing yet. They don't realize that's marketing that, 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 oh, yeah. that video of the coach in the big performance facility, yelling their one liners, blowing the whistle, the athletes doing up downs, the prowler montages, the cleans, the chalk on the hands, the, you know, we are like pound that like all that is marketing. But then it's the, it's, it's the Marvel cinematic, you know, universe kind of trailer that everybody's like, Oh my God, I love this. But then when you want to teach people about other things, you're like, no, 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 that's marketing. It's like, so let me get this straight. You're saying yes to the stuff that is like highlight reel once in a while, you know, flashy, whatever. But you think the other stuff that you need to know, whether it's communication, everything that you guys talk about at power athlete, uh, all these things, no, that's marketing. That's what I don't trust. I'm like, you should not trust those things. Like, yeah, I mean, people went nuts when ESPN did that special on the evolution of a strength coach being like, this isn't how it mm-hmm. is. And I'm like, well, who are you going to blame when you don't show how it really is then? All our field shows is highlight reels and jacked up dudes doing these things. What do you think the rest of the world's going to think? <laughs> like, there's so much yep. more room for this space to evolve. And anybody that thinks that online is not a part of it, again, when, when, when doctors, dentists, when everybody else is looking at doing this and our field's like, no, no, you know, it's like, where's the disconnect? It's because people self-identify and they need that. People need the brand. People need to go to some big place because they want to feel better about themselves. I think it's a self-identifying insecurity thing, but that's me. Oh, big time. They, they want to play the polo game and that is not the way to go, or I would recommend long-term for long-term for the coaches out there. If you want to know how to coach, there is a, plenty of opportunities. Get a bullshit personal training job while you're trying to pay for your grad school. And then you get a hundred athletes plus a month for the opportunity to learn differentiation when it comes to training a, a 60 year old woman. And then this 16 year old wiener kid that his parents just bought these, these, sessions for so it's an amazing range that you can get in the personal training market but then it needs to evolve in which you're working with groups of athletes two three so then you can build upon that skill of differentiation now to a larger scale of group where i need to okay everybody's squatting but 
I'm setting up this, this person in you're going towards this height or we're adjusting this foot position or going up active foot position on this individual athlete while my sprinters, my speed, my skill guys are doing X, Y, and Z. So it's, it is within sport, but if they can hone that skill one person at a time and then gradually get to that position, it's there. There also is a lot of politics that you need to learn to manage and the social intelligence necessary as a division one, two, three strength coach, or in the business field, I imagine of managing relationships, managing up is one great aspect and skill that needs to be learned. Even though you are a leader or middle management, you need to manage up, you need to manage down, you need to lead up because some of those big dives ahead of you may need some push, some motivation or to be called out. Yeah, I mean, they're that, not in line. Spot on. I mean, that's the majority of our apprenticeship attendees now is people that say, hey, I got the big job. I had no idea how many politi- how much politics was involved. I need help. And so these are the people that now come to the apprenticeship workshops. It's very rarely the young kid that's like, uh, you know, they're, they're still infatuated with the other things. They're going to their 20th thing on teaching the snatch. But, you know, it's, it's people that are inherently blind to the politics and the realities of these things. And, and like, if your guys are listening, nobody's saying anything's wrong with the team setting. I have friends that if they mm-hmm. called, if they called today, just cause I love them and, and what have you. And it was the, if it was the right fit, I would do that. But it's, it's also not, I, I think people need to be wary of like these other things. Like I'm also happy doing what I do now. You've got to get what Texas is saying here is diversify your experiences, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm very grateful of is I've had the experience in the team setting, the private sector. I love now working. I I'll admit uh, many times I love speaking with corporations and, and tactical populations more than just the performance community because the performance community needs to be told so many things to believe it. Cause they're so inherently scared where one time I, I, and I've talked about it on the podcast before I was on my 10th slide talking about the communication by, or the research behind communication and why it's critical and an operator had to stop me and say, bro, we get it. Like if we don't, if we don't communicate, we die, you know, you don't have to sell us. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's so reflexive. I'm so used to having to talk to strength coaches about it, you know, of, of they, they want to act like it's a soft skill. Um, you know, what other aspects behind, you know, cause you guys are very technology proficient at power athlete, right? The online trip, like, did you always, were you always proficient in that? Have you always technology always came easy to you? Cause I think when we talk barriers text, Sometimes it's not people just perceiving that big job. Sometimes people might just be scared of technology. And I get that. Like, you know, I'm pretty proficient, but my Google drive, you know, ended up doing something stupid the other day on my laptop. It works fine on my desktop. And no matter the forums I go into, I can't figure it out. I'm pretty technologically proficient, but it pisses me off time to time. Talk to me a little bit about the role that plays and how you continue to upgrade yourself there. Very, very good question. So early on, Right now, Power Athlete, we deliver our programs through the app Train Heroics. We have nine flagship programs, but early on in 2014, it began as one, our flagship program, Field Strong, and we deliver that through a WordPress. So it was behind a paywall. You had to pay to be a member to receive our daily training, and we just cataloged it like a bunch of blogs. But we then said, okay, how do we scale this up? And we needed to look for a tech partner. And we were able to find that through Trainer Heroic. And in that search, we had to ask ourselves a very powerful question. Are we a tech company or strength and conditioning company? We are a strength and conditioning company. So we needed to find a tech partner. We were not afraid to ask for help and allow 
us to unlock now thousands of athletes potential rather than the limited window we had within our WordPress Word, WordPress program, that single training goal. Now we have nine different training goals that we reverse engineer program for. So we were not afraid to ask for help. That's big picture. That's big business. And we were able to find a partner that was work, willing to work with us. Now, micro, I am not the tech guru. I'm more the movement and the strength and the coach. Luke, on the other hand, is our tech guru. So Luke's a member of Power Athlete. And I love the quote, a coach needs a coach. So when it comes Always. to these technical aspects and how we can continue to increase the efficiency of our small business, Luke's always looking for that way of how we can effectively deliver more content. How can we effectively build our, our audience within the social media aspect? So he is that branch of the team. What's his title officially? I'm sorry. What's his title officially? COO. COO. yeah, I, I was so asking all, mainly because if there's somebody listening right now, it's like, oh, I need, I need a Luke. You know what? What title you would give that kind of person? Dude, it, it, when it comes to don't model yourself after power athlete. If you're trying to build a business, <laughs> we do everything. It's a very small team of highly way. skilled individuals. Think of us as basically SEAL team power athlete. Yeah, like all of us can do everything, but at the same time, we have our specialty. Um, so. Bottom line, coach needs a coach. If you're thinking big business, you need to find a tech company that is willing to work with you and partner. If you have an idea and not willing to wrap their head around it and be willing to change their platform and their delivery for you, that's not the right partner. Don't think of a coach, my program, I need to cram it into this online training experience. This could be said for any online experience of business. Don't try to cram it and fit it into a tech. Your tech should now expand and explode your ability to communicate and reach and empower. So don't fit it into that world. Let the world explode up because you were able to find a partner to work with you. And yeah, and hopefully within your small micro team that you have somebody that understands this and is not afraid to manage up or manage down versus the, the old school Jimmy Fallon skit. I don't know if you remember this, where he was the computer tech nerd. Somebody was having problems within it and he was just like, move. Oh yeah. And just would butt in yeah, yeah. and um, just be that guy. Yeah. So man, te- teamwork, communication and humility when it comes to something. And I will say this, I hate the damn spreadsheet. And you know, the coaches that are in love with their formulas and spreadsheets. I was I one hate. of them. I, I had, I had formulas for everything. Dude. I, I, I hate it. I don't like it when it comes to efficiency and time that we have to, to write and deliver nine programs. Shameless plug for Train Heroic because now it frees me up to do other empowering things, write, create, blog, podcast, do all that good stuff. Sure. No, I think you got to find another friend of mine, Jared Saavedra, has a solution that they use called Athlete Ready Global, and he's able to help coaches that own their own gyms and other coaches come up with different solutions, like seek outside solutions. 
there's other people mm-hmm. out there doing those things that are that are good people, and there's a lot of great options. And and like you know, we use Train Heroic too for our adaptable program, and it keeps it simple. At first, it's a pain in the ass, right? Like because you're just I'm so used to the templates and and things that I've used in Google Sheets and Excel, but you learn. I think that's a, that's just a critical, it's a consistent theme of this podcast and other things is you have to adapt. You have to change. You have to be open. You have to be dangerous enough. I hear what you say with that seal team power athlete. We're definitely that same way at, at, uh, art of coaching. Oftentimes I had somebody the other day that got upset with me because I hadn't returned their text in a couple of days. And I just said, listen, dude, this is a tough time. We, we have a million things going on and we're all trying to do this. I did not get back to you cause I'm not appreciative of you. Like I just didn't see it cause we're doing it. We're overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's okay mm-hmm. to admit that you get, I think we live in this society too, that doesn't want to admit it needs help. Doesn't want to talk about it. It's overwhelmed, but that's okay. I mean, I've had to say it on this podcast. If you guys are somebody that I haven't gotten back to your DM or your tweet or this and that, that is not me or text or anybody else being too big time, too good to this for us to do the work, the bigger picture work. You have to tune some of those things out sometimes. Like, I tried that, man. I tried responding to every tweet, every DM, every email, every text within 24 hours. And I was such an ass earlier on in my life because if somebody didn't respond to me, I'd be like, oh, really, dude? Like, how long, how hard is it to respond to a text? But people don't understand in context when you don't seek out other mediums or other forms for help or what have you, that's problematic. You're going to end up being a rate limiting factor for the very thing you want to do. But again, that comes from our society of thinking that. There's a lot of people that probably think you guys are a huge operation and you have a lot of people helping you and you have somebody doing your, so I get asked all the time, do you do your own social media? I'm like, yeah, who else is going to do it? Like, there's not a bunch of people lining up behind the street being like, Hey Brett, we really want to do your social media, right? Like, do you have a bunch of people saying, Hey Tex, I really want to be your assistant. I want to make your life easier. Like, do those things happen on a daily basis for you? (laughs) We, we do get hit up about internships a lot, but not those things. Right. Right. No, usually not I get hit up. It. If, yeah, if someone was a social media expert or at least claimed to be, awesome. Please, if you're out there, please apply. We'll, <laughs> we'll take you on. And yeah, ma- managing time. I, I did steal one thing from you that you did to me was if three texts are longer, I'm just going to call you. Oh, yeah. I, I tell so, people that. I'm like, if, it, if it's three texts or more, you're obviously in a position where you can communicate. And if you're not, you're in a meeting, you're an asshole. You should put the phone down and focus on that meeting. But if, if it's three texts, just to give you guys context, I'm like, Hey, let's make this a phone call. Otherwise we're going to go back and forth. And similarly, if I haven't responded to something that you sent in 24 to 48 hours, just remind me, I have a kid, I have a family. I had to remember, I had to remind this guy last night. I'm like, I had a son five months ago, bro. Like I'm not going to bed every night thinking that I owe everybody a response back to their text right away. Just say, Hey Brett, this is urgent would you mind giving it just a couple seconds? Because otherwise, you know, people will reach out. It's the same thing. We get interns. Hey, can I help you train your athletes? Or, Hey, can I do this? Or they'll say, and and it's well-meaning, like I'd like to help, but then they don't give us a clear idea of how to help as if we're supposed to know how they can help. Like it's like, I I made that mistake too. I brought people on because I wanted help, but then they were just, they didn't really give me a clear expertise. So I threw them into something that I realized, Oh, bad idea. Right. But it was my desire to help and their desire to help. But it's like, no, we're, we're much more interested in, Hey, this is my specialty. This is my expertise. Allie Kirshner is a great example for us. She does podcast reflection sheets for every episode, yours included. This was something that I started because I, I got really angry that we have a world of consumerism where people listen to podcasts or, and don't do anything with it. So we created these worksheets are free PDFs that everybody can get on our website 
and it allows them to take notes or answer questions on key points of our interviews and our conversations. And I was doing these myself and I'm like, ah, I need some help. And Allie Kirshner at Stanford's like, I love the show. I'd love to do it. I listen to it anyway. And so I was like, all right, you know, and I get nervous because I have a pretty high standard. Uh, you know, just what you put out there stays out there forever in some way, shape or form. And Allie crushed it and she continues to do it. And, but she specifically took accountability of, I can help with this and I would like to do that. She now does our show notes too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think if you're somebody out there that wants to get involved and learn from people like Tex or other uh, companies, go to them with an idea, a specific idea of what you can help with and how you can help. Don't just be like, and, and don't be tone deaf, right? Yes. Right now I'm training athletes and I, I train athletes to some capacity all times a year, but we're trying to grow as a leadership communication psychology company. I'm no longer trying to train thousands of athletes a year. That's just not my goal, right? I don't want to been there, done that. It's great. I love it, but I don't want to have 20 groups a day. So if you reach out to me and say, Hey, I'd like to intern with you and train your athletes. Nah, man, I'm good with that. I, I got this. Like that's actually, that's a part of my day that is almost selfishly me. Now you can come observe, you can do whatever, but ask, talk to me about areas we really need help. Was there an area I know? Cause you learned under, you had some mentors. How did you approach that when you wanted to help somebody what was that correspondence like? What was that engagement like? What was that relationship like? Because I think a lot of people are lost in that area. How did you approach it? But my mentors, I was honest. I, I gave them my experience in the, the roadblock in which I faced or the ceiling that I had in my current coaching position and said I, I was looking to learn more. So I was honest about my expectation of I was going to, I was going to take from you. But at the same time, I gave them what I was going to give them. So yes, it was the crossing the the T's and dotting the lowercase J's to steal Wayne's World 2 quote. But you're going to show up on time. I was going to redirect and deliver your message. I wasn't going to try to take ownership within your program, but I was going to, to learn as much as I can from you. And then again, during our downtime, take as much as I can from you. But this is going to pay off five, ten plus years where I will I will dedicate my my career to expanding your ideas and expanding on your shoulders. Yeah, so it wasn't a passive process. Out. Yeah, and it was it was John Wellborn here at Power Athlete who now hopefully continue to expand upon his ideas and explore this this concept of athleticism. And then previous to that. Mike Hill at Georgetown University, Donnie Mabe at University of Texas that took a chance on Big a 27-year-old intern. Yes, Donnie, great, great tool. And then ment- uh, my main mentor, I consider a man named Rafael Ruiz, who's based out of Tampa Bay. So if you do not know him, he's the best kept secret in strength and conditioning, and he needs as much marketing help as possible. But he's an amazing coach, influencer, and in navigating the emotional and the intelligent quotient of an athlete. He's, he worked at Tampa Bay Bucks, University of Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays, and fighting. He coached Tarver, Antonio Tarver, if you recall, oh, yeah, yeah. in Rocky Six, Mason the Dixon, Dixon line. line. Yeah, that was Antonio Tarver, and he was his fight coach, or excuse me, his strength and conditioning coach for his his fighting career, especially when he won the heavyweight against Roy Jones Jr. So storied history, career, and. Man, I owe a lot to understanding movement and that emotional intelligence quotient for athletes and truly coaching. So 
always get the opportunity to give it up and pay it forward towards those guys. But I, I approached it honestly and told him I'm going to take from you, but this is going to pay off in the long run. But I was specific in what I wanted to learn and take from them. Not a general, I just want to learn. Yeah. No, it was, it was focused, directed experience that I was looking for. It's similar, and this is the, kind of the next point I'd love to hear your take on. It's similar to what I was asked the other day. When I was a podcast guest, uh, they said, you know, what is, the, what is basically the first step that coaches can do to become better coaches and communicators? And I go, well, seek out, seek out like evaluation on that right? Like a big reason we do our apprenticeships is because people can go get certified in all these other things, but there's nothing doing that for communication. So we're like, we're, we're going to do this. We're now going to evaluate. And we have a whole proprietary evaluation on, on all these things, seven points of communication. But I'm like, you can't hope to get better. The, the easy answer is practice it, but practicing is not enough. Cause there's some people that think they practice it by doing it daily, right? You can, Oh, I communicate daily. I'm already good at it. No, you need to get evaluated. Um, we've also had people that are like, well, we want you to evaluate our staff internally. No, because then you guys aren't seeking out the collective, right? We once had an FBI mm -hmm. agent who corrected a strength coach in their perspective in one part of our workshop and an FBI agent, like that guy can give com completely different feedback than another strength coach on your staff is going to give, right? A woman that worked in HR gave tremendous feedback to another uh, strength coach is like strength coaches are so insular, but I was wondering about you because you're an excellent communicator right? Like you, you don't have a lot of disfluencies. You're thoughtful. You have great tone of voice projection. Talk to me about your approach to refining and enhancing your communication skills. How have you addressed that? Opportunity. So, and this goes to understanding pathos, ethos, and logos and what those truly mean because I entered in my, my speaking career, all, all logos and thought I was providing some pathos and passion because as an introvert, now learned extrovert, it took a lot for me to stand up and deliver. I thought that was passion. So I had the information down, but now I need to work on my passion and delivery and connection to the crowd. And ethos would be experience. I had to develop that and grow that over my, my 10 years as a coach. I'm 34 right now, started sport coaching at 24 but understanding that every single day, every single rep, every single practice within sport or training session within the strength field, that is an opportunity to build that ethos. It is a mistake to no learn and think that ethos is just my logo on my polo shirt or the one line on my resume. There's a lot of extremely valuable things that I, I take into my experience in the, the ethos that I ooze on a speaking opportunity because I learned so much and I want to do that mentor justice by delivering this information with the power that this is the experience. And if I can instill and deliver that message effectively, that attendee can then go and deliver that information and make them better as an individual, as a coach, as a, as a person. So I'm just thinking in my mind that, like you said, all of these opportunities matter. I'm going to invest everything I can, my every ounce of my coaching being as it would in that one set or rep or one cue that I would give into my 60-minute presentation or 16-hour clinic that we're, that we're running. So it's focusing on the, the reverberation of performance and not focus selfishly on getting nervous to speak. I want my attendees, wherever is watching my online course 
or listening to our podcast or in-person event, whether it's speaking or, or clinic, to then be able to apply that information and make no mistake, this is the setup, this is the execution, or this is the application of said program. So it's having that, uh, man, just the, the emphasis and the weight on my back to make sure that this is a clear message that they can then apply to their athletes. Yeah, well stated. And for anybody that just wants a refresher on ethos, pathos, and logos, this is, of course, from Aristotle, who really is the king of influence-based communication. Ethos is that ethical appeal. It's all centered around credibility or one's character. And that's why you hear text talk about he didn't just want to rely on some logo on the shirt or what have you. That comes through with the utility and the value you actually provide to others over time. Pathos is really that emotional appeal and bought in our online course. We talk about these influence tactics as a personal appeal tactic, inspirational tactic, all of those things. So if you've taken my course, you're familiar with that. That's all just, you know, you want to appeal to an audience based on their emotions. And then logos, of course, is logic or reason, as you can kind of get to the idea of that base word. Um, and you're right. Most coaches do use logical uh, approaches or we find in, in, in our workshops, what we talk about when we dissect it is the vast majority of people in scientific communities use rational persuasion. Well, this is what the research shows. This is what the research said. And, oh, research indicates this. And it's them trying to basically combine all of these into thinking, oh, yeah, if I just give somebody information, it, it'll be good enough. And, and it's not. Now, here's my follow up question to that. Because you're a good communicator, you work on these things, you you presented an awesome kind of framework of, yeah, I look at every opportunity as a way to test myself. So my real question is, when you come into an apprenticeship and letting us test you? Well, we, we lined up in May, but then the, the craziness began. I was using that as an excuse to get to Chicago. Yeah. So as soon as, as soon as the, and selfishly go to a baseball game, but um, yeah, as soon as the opportunity presents itself, and travel and locks, man, I 100% in and open to, to, to humble myself and learn from the experience and be a part of the, the wave with the attendees. Yeah, well, we're all a part of it. Even I get torn down, and that's the fun of it. I love every, every time I do it, I'll jump into the evaluations and everything too because the fact is is sometimes I'm very on point. Sometimes my mind's distracted, and that's the point, this safe place to fail. Well, we're doing one. In Charleston, South Carolina, at the end of July, Ooh. Charleston, South Carolina. I don't know what many excuses you need to go to Charleston. But uh, plenty. I yeah. mean, uh, I'm bachelor party, bachelorette party capital of the world right there. And one of the top places in the uh, U.S. to live, I think, four or five years running. My friend Donnell Boucher at the Citadel would probably say, you know, he'd have the stat because he's very, very proud of, of Charleston. But the invite's open. Text, listen. We're running short on time, man. You've been more than gracious. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to cover or anything else that you wanted to get out there? You've been more, uh, what you've given has been tremendous. Quick question for you. Please. What's the biggest shift that you've seen and change of tra- trajectory? So you had your book out, you've, you began your podcast and started this tidal wave, but I understand with putting out courses and teaching, our intention is over here. And we need to drive this impact as far as we can towards the other direction. Have you had to calibrate any information that, oh, crap, I had my intent, the impact overshot what I intended. Do we need to calibrate back? Was there any piece like that you had to adjust? I want to make sure I understand the question fully. Are you, are you, what are you asking in particular? Forgive me. Did did we go too deep into some area or did we overinvest in a certain area? Yep. And then people took it, 
too far? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think that I'll give you two answers. One is there were some people that read the book three years ago, Conscious Coaching, and they, they loved the archetypes because I think everybody sees themselves in the archetypes. But we made a very clear point in the book that archetypes are not static. They're fluid, dynamic. They'll change based on the situation, the variables, the context, all those kinds of things. And uh, there were people that literally thought they could just identify an archetype and coach their athlete based on that archetype. Not realizing that, you know, again, we're an amalgamation of these things and how I behave when I'm interviewing you on a podcast is different than how I'm going to coach my athletes on the floor, which is different than how I'm going to console my wife when she's sad, which is different than how I'm going to talk to my in-laws during Christmas, right? Like archetypically those, those, those are different behaviors. So to use your term, we, and we have a, a blog article on this, it's called archetypes and lazy coaches where we make the point that archetypes are nothing more than scaffolding. They're a starting point in which you can kind of see patterns of behavior. You're never meant to coach people off of one archetypical example of their behavior. People are deeper than that. That happened to me at the hospital. I was in an eating disorder hospital. Therefore, these people thought that my sole issue was one of an eating disorder. That wasn't the case. I exercised like crazy and all that because that was a way of dealing with my depression. And I felt like I didn't really have control in my life because all my friends got into heroin, you know, cocaine and, and meth. And so extra, like, and I had read just bad information out there that as a kid, I had no idea how to train. So I think it's care. You have to be careful when people use this kind of fundamental attribution error of this is what I see. Therefore that is what is. Um, I think the other thing I've had to be wary of, and I've gotten a lot better and I owe this to my wife is for a while I was going down a rabbit hole of like continually trying to convince coaches they needed this. So even though we have hundreds of people and and great teams and organizations signed up for our courses, uh, online courses, the book now is over a hundred thousand copies by the grace of God and our apprenticeship workshops. I think they were the real eye opener for me too. We started noticing that we had over uh, people from over 30 professions and more than 20 countries coming. And my goal has always been to do more than just S and C. I love my roots, but I don't want to just, you know, I want to talk to leadership and, and solve bigger picture issues down the road. And uh, I was almost trying to convince coaches that need, like didn't believe communication was important to learn. I found myself spending an inordinate amount of hours battling coaches that wanted to basically just argue for the fact that we should just be learning training. We shouldn't be learning how to advance our career or our communication skill set. And that was that was an area that I overshot. It was a complete waste of time. Cause I had all these other people that were already locked in and ready to commit. And I was wasting energy on that, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, we literally would have people that w- will spend 500 to a thousand dollars plus on training related con ed a year, yet nothing on communication other than a John Maxwell book or, you know, listening to a podcast or whatever. And I, I see it all the time. It's just people expect me to talk about on the podcast, what is in my courses or people expect me to put what I wrote in my book in a DM. So these expectations were just off and I had to learn that's not my audience. I kept overshooting on trying to make people who are clearly not my audience and aren't going to do the work to do the work. And it drained me. It made me angry yeah. for a while. My friend, one of my friends is like, you need to take a step back. And I'm like, why am I trying to help? My job is not to save people. Neither is yours. It's to help people. And I remember reading that in a book. This guy goes, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to save people. My job isn't to convince you. If you don't want to learn communication, leadership, and all these things in a field that's devoid of any kind of practice or evaluation in that sans our stuff, that's you. That's not me. Yeah. You know, so does that answer your question more effectively? Yeah, big time. And, and definitely in, in more of a, an internal answer, realizing you can't please everyone. You can't save everyone. 
So that is that is powerful. And if we reflect back to the the young businessmen and women and then the young coaches out there, you're not going to please every athlete at the same time. You're not going to appease every head strength coach that you got to work under. And not all of them will be willing to invest in you. So identify that relationship quickly to realize, okay, this is going to be that kind of style. I'll be out of here in eight weeks and find a different opportunity. Yeah. Someone willing to invest. Exactly. And it it even happened with the podcast that or the social media I put out today. What is today's May 27th when we're recording this, it'll come out a little bit later, but I put out a, uh, um, a social media post last night about just being willing to stand for something as an individual and how we've come to live in this age of the collective now where you're supposed to, um, never celebrate a win or you're never supposed to look like you're doing well or happy. You know, it's this like faux humility that can just be corrosive. And, uh, somebody, it was a pretty fired up post and somebody said, do you ever worry that with the things you put out there? Uh, that you could keep yourself from getting an opportunity or a job offer or whatever. And I said, not at all. I go old me would have, because we had this idea that there's somebody out there that can just blacklist you. I go, the reality is, is let's say there's 700 companies, organizations, teams out there that hate what I post, what I write, whatever. And they think it's confrontational and this and uh, self aggrandizing or whatever, whatever people want to think. Well, now we live in a day and age where thankfully there's other people that are like, Nope, that's exactly what we need. We need somebody who stands up for what they believe in, talks in a no-nonsense manner and all that. So I think that people have to get rid of this fear-mongering that being yourself is going to get you punished, right? Like there's – now be ethical, be smart, be tasteful, but anybody I ever want to work for or with is going to value what I'm putting out into the world. They're not – I think of a listener. His name's Colonel Ronald Stenger, amazing person, and uh, worked with him down at Lackland Air Force Base – one time he was interviewing me for a position that, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out. My wife was pregnant. We didn't want to, we couldn't have moved. And my brother had just had a seizure. It just wasn't the right timing. Otherwise I'd do anything with that man. Um, you know, I had asked him, I said, you know, is me, if I do this, are you still cool with me keeping art of coaching? And he said something along the lines of, are you kidding? That's why we want you, you know, now of course we'd time up certain things. And that was a huge, um, release, because there were four or five offers that came in the past five years where people said, quit art of coaching. You'd have to quit selling the book. We don't want a brand. We don't want this. And so I just kind of was like, why would I ever, no other profession does that. All my friends that were lawyers or doctors or something else were like, if I wrote a book, I'd get a raise. I'd get partnership. I'd get this and that. But in our field, you're punished for having a brand. But I just remember he said that. And I was like, Liz, I, I looked at my wife and I'm like, that the tide's starting to turn when you know people like that get it. This is a full colonel who understood that like it, it should not be a bad thing to hire somebody that speaks their mind and puts a stake in the ground because that's leadership at the end of the day. Leadership isn't this whitewashed, sterilized uh, thing where every soundbite is lean in, be vulnerable, be empathetic. We have completely sterilized leadership into thinking that it's, uh, don't get me started. We have other podcast episodes on this so that I don't want to bore the listeners. If, if you guys want to know my thoughts on that, check out the leadership lie and improv is coaching and all those things. But it's a good question, Tex. Cool, man. Th- thanks again for the opportunity. No. Always great talking to you. And we'll we'll get you back on Power Athlete Radio to jam specifically on leadership. So all your listeners out there, you know where to find the sequel. Here. Yeah, guys, you got to listen to, I mean, everything they do at Power Athlete and Text, we're going to put everything in the show notes, so don't sweat spelling it out. But where can people right now immediately go to support you guys, you, and, and learn about all you're doing? Instagram, honestly, right now, this day and age is the best opportunity. And it's where 
I put movement discovery on there. And here's, I'll, I'll hop on a soapbox for less than a minute, but at the same time, we see a lot of coaches out there that put out a movement and then coaches, influencer, people that are following them, they go and try that one movement. Yeah. But it's my mission to help people understand not movements as individual pieces, but movement. Sure. So I, in a glimpse of the training, put two, three, four pairs of exercises that are connected in the aim to connect to a sprint or a jump or something athletic to help paint this picture of athleticism and movement rather than saying, hey, try this drill or this one piece. No, try these in a cycle and see how they lead to explosivity or sprinting or fucking just feeling good. Excuse me for cursing, but yeah, man, uh, I won't soapbox too hard on that, but understand that all movement is connected and we have the opportunity if we understand the small fundamentals of the fundamentals, then we can take them off and deliver them to our athletes. But Ain't nothing wrong with figuring out and exercising using those tools yourself. Not at all, man. Well, we'll definitely get you on for a part two. Tex McQuilkin, thank you. I'm honored to be your friend, and thanks for your time, man. Cheers, man. Thank you. All right, take care. Guys, this has been the Art of Coaching Podcast. Be sure to share your thoughts, opinions, questions over at our Facebook community, the Art of Coaching Podcast community. It's open access. We're always happy to hear from you guys, and we want to hear more about what's resonating with you, what's connecting with you, and uh, however we can serve you best. Have a great rest of the day. 